It was the end of the night. We just started dating a couple weeks earlier. It was still in that fresh stage where everything's just incredible about the other person. And at every red light, you're sneaking over for a quick kiss. You like to hold hands. Just that, just that stage of things. We went to dinner that night, and then we went to a, a high school football game. And then after the football game, we went to a party, and everything was great. We hung out with friends. We had some alone time. Everything was wonderful. I was walking her back to her door. I got out of the car. I was walking her back to the door, and I snuck, a, snuck another kiss real quick under her, under her porch. And I'm so glad they didn't have doorbell cameras when I was growing up, because <sighs> it would have been a pathetic scene to witness on video. But we were just sitting there holding hands and just kind of looking at each other because she didn't want to go inside, and I didn't want her to go inside and the night to end. And she looked at me, and she said, I had the time of my life tonight. We kissed again as she went inside and was walking. I was floating back to the car. And I remember putting my seatbelt in the car. And before I started the engine in her driveway, I looked in the rearview mirror. And I'm like, that's right, you did. You had the best night of your life. That's right. That's right. I was, I was feeling incredible. Incredible, incredible. We were still dating a couple weeks later, and it was a Saturday night, and we were going out to dinner, and the night before, we'd hung out with separate groups of friends, and she was telling me all the details of what she did on her Friday night, and I told her all the details of what I did on my Friday night, and she went back and revisited her Friday night, and she looked at me at dinner and said, I had the time of my life last night. And I said, really? The time of your life? She's like, yeah. Like, two weeks ago, you had the time of your life with me. Like, that, that was the time of your life. Not last night. Last night, I didn't say all this, but I'm thinking it internally. I'm just, like, internally going there. And what's fascinating is life is a collection of, of moments. Life is a collection of moments. And some moments we make it a point to remember. Some we don't make it a point to remember. But they haunt us. And we can't forget. And sometimes it feels like as we go through life, life can become so mundane and it feels like we're just going through the motions. And this morning, what we're going to see as we continue our look at the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to see how every moment matters, how every moment matters and how there are different seasons in life. And if we aren't prepared for the meaning of every moment, and if we aren't prepared for the different seasons that life brings about, it can lead us to a place where we are discontent. It can lead us to a place where we are miserable. It can lead us to a place where we don't know how to cope and we don't know how to make it through. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a great resource that you can find in the app store of your choosing. It's just called the Bible app. And once you've downloaded it on your device, you can follow along with us there with one of the features within the Bible app. It's called Events. Either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201. There, Lakeside Community Church will pop up, and you can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you today, we're in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So about halfway through the Old Testament, you'll find Ecclesiastes, and we'll be in looking at chapter 
three today. If you're joining us via the stream this morning, thank you so much for joining us. The verses will be available on the screen below. Before we start in Ecclesiastes chapter three, I just want to catch you up with where we've been. We saw the first week when we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter one, all the incredible things, all the incredible things that Solomon accomplished in his life in terms of accomplishments, in terms of relationships, in terms of finances, in terms of success. No one has ever done it better. No one has ever had more. And yet he was absolutely miserable. And what we saw is that things we can acquire and things we can achieve and relationships that we can have and wealth that we can build will never satisfy the need because we were ultimately created with a, with a need to connect with our creator And anything short of that connection, that authentic connection with our creator that is exclusively available to us through a relationship with Jesus will leave us wanting more. And then we build on that theme last week as we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And we saw all of the things that he tried not only to achieve to bring satisfaction, but all the ways he tried to distract himself to bring about peace and satisfaction in his life and ultimately how all of those things were empty as well. And on the heels of that today, we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 1, where we read these words. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Life isn't one constant. It isn't just one constant. It's a wide range of circumstances and situations. So if, you're, if you find yourself today on a mountaintop, if you find yourself today where everything's going great and you couldn't ask for a better scenario than where you find yourself today, to you, I would just say buckle up because life isn't always going to be that way. If you find yourself today in the lowest valley that you've ever experienced, I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't lose hope. It isn't going to stay this way forever. Life isn't just one constant. There are different seasons. There are different stretches in our lives. And when we aren't prepared for that, that's where frustration can come into the equation. And the challenge for a lot of us, the challenge for a lot of us is to be, while life isn't constant, is for us to be constant in our relationship with our Creator, in our relationship with God. Because I don't know about you, but historically, we see this throughout the Old Testament with the nation Israel, and historically, anecdotally, in a lot of our lives, and I know sometimes in my own life, it is a lot easier to walk with God in the lowest valley than it is the highest mountain peak. Because when we find ourselves there, and we don't know where to turn, and we don't know where to go, and we don't know what to do, We naturally cling to God. It doesn't mean it's pleasant. It doesn't mean it's fun. But that's how we respond. But a lot of us can be like the nation Israel. And every every single time we see in the Old Testament, they didn't know how to handle blessing. And every time God would bless them, they would lose their focus. And they would fall away. And that's why it is vital for us to understand while life is not constant, we should be people who are disciplined. We should be people who desire a relationship with our creator in the good times as much as we do in the bad. Or maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you've got a great way, a great way to really process through blessing. And it has never been a struggle for you to walk with God when times are good. You are just somebody who naturally praises and is full of thankfulness and thanksgiving. And when times are good, it's easy for you to walk with God. But when times get tough, 
you start to wonder, God, where are you? Why is this happening? What's going on? And this is why it's so important for us to develop a proper theology of what our lives should look like in relation to God, meaning that our circumstances should not determine the level of intimacy and the level of desire that we have for communion with our Creator. That we need to desire God just as much in the good times as we do the bad. And I don't know how you're wired, I don't know how you struggle, but historically and anecdotally, you're going to struggle with one of the two. And being prepared, understanding that they're going to happen because we live in a broken and a flawed world, can be the start to a more consistent relationship with God. There's a season. There is a season for everything, a time for every matter under heaven. And then Solomon goes on and he describes this, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones. And a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace. And a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek. And a time to lose. A time to keep. And a time to cast away. A time to tear. And a time to sow. A time to keep silence. And a time to speak. A time to love. And a time to hate. A time for war. And a time for peace. There is a time and there is a season for all these things under heaven. And normally what happens... Normally what happens in our lives when there are problems is it is a result of a timing issue. It is a result of a timing issue. Let's walk through this list again. A time to be born. We normally rejoice. We rejoice over the fact of new life. We rejoice over the fact of new life. But if new life is brought about prematurely, There becomes a number of complications. It is still wonderful, and we still rejoice about it. But because the timing is off, that brings about all kinds of complications. A time to die. There's always grief surrounding death. There's always grief surrounding death. But the grief is different when somebody who is in their 90s, who has loved and followed Jesus for most of their lives, and who leaves behind an incredible legacy, goes home to be with Jesus. There's a different grief experience then than when a 17-year-old wrecks their car into a tree and never makes it out of that car. It's a timing issue. There's always grief. But the levels of grief are different. There's a time to plant. A time to plant. If you were to go out and plant certain things right now, it has to be, it has to be designed to come up in spring, or else you don't stand a chance. There's a time to harvest. There's a time to kill. There's a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. There is a time to weep. I know some of you struggle with that, but there is a time. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh. Some of you struggle with that. There is a time to laugh. 
Not everything is solemn and serious. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to fight. A time to embrace. Before you get on the porch where their parents could be watching with the doorbell camera. Is that time? A time to embrace. And a time not to embrace. A time not to embrace. A time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent. To just stop talking. And a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. There's a time for all of this, and most of the problems that you're going to experience in your life, and most of the problems we experience in our broken and flawed world are a timing issue. The celebration of birth, the agony of death, the trouble in life is often timing. I know that's true in most of our relationships. The problem in most of our relationships are timing issues. They're timing issues. If we would have just stayed silent instead of speaking, or if we would have just spoken instead of saying silent, that would reduce 85% of the arguments that we face in our relationships. So husbands and significant others and those of you who are engaged or dating and become engaged, let me help you. You're going to hear about her problems at some point in time. Now, what she's not going to tell you because she loves you is you're one of them, uh, but that's all right. You're going to hear about her problems at some point in your life. And learn from me. All right? Learn from me. She does not want a solution. We're in the fixing business. She doesn't want to be fixed. We want to fix the solution. She doesn't want the solution to be fixed by you. She just wants you to listen and empathize. Ladies, let me help you now. There is nothing you enjoy more sometimes than a good cry, a box of chocolates, and a chick flick and deep conversation. That you just circles. Just you don't even, there, there ain't no path or destination. It's just getting it out there. And you look at him and you realize he's going through something. You ask him what's wrong, and he says nothing. He doesn't want to talk. He does not want to talk about it. And the more you push, the more you emphasize, let's talk about it. you got to get it out. Let's talk. The further you're going to push him away. Why? Because we process these things differently. We process these things differently. And it's not a right or a wrong thing. It's that our, frequently our timings don't, they don't correlate. And there's some of the beautiful differences that God has designed to bring us together in relationships that help us grow and make us more like him. And we need the other and we complement the other. But when we try to force it and we try to push it and when we don't recognize this timing principle, that's where trouble comes into the relationship. Timing is everything. We understand this in, in investments. 
your portfolio would look a lot better if you bought a fund now versus January, unless you were shorting everything in the market? You understand this in real estate? We understand this in love. We understand this in business. Timing is everything. The reason is because God is a God of order. God is a God of order, and he's created everything within a rhythm. And when we lose sight of that, and when we operate outside of that, that is where the problems come. And so Solomon, as he's looking back over the course of his life, and he's reflecting on everything he's accomplished and everything he's achieved and everything he's tried to bring satisfaction to his life and ultimately everything that has failed, becoming more philosophical he's shifting his perspective and now we get to verses 9 through 11 what gain is the worker from his toil i have seen the business that god has given to the children of man to be busy with he has made everything beautiful in its time also he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. You know why there's a longing for legacy in your life? You know why there's a longing for something more? It's because we were never designed with the idea that these 70 or 80 or 90 years that we would be given in this world are, are the entirety of our existence. That's why there's a longing for something more. And that's why there's a longing in Solomon with everything he's accomplished that it isn't enough. And if it wasn't enough for Solomon and all the wonderful things he's accomplished, why do we think it's going to be enough for us when we can accomplish nothing in comparison to what he accomplished? And even if we could, it never satisfies. It's never enough. And the reason it's never enough is because God has created us with this longing, with this desire for more. But when we fail to apply that appropriately in our lives, that longing and that desire for more, because God, is, God has created us with the longing and desire for eternity in our hearts, when we apply that incorrectly, becomes a longing and a desire for more wealth, for more relationships, for more success, for more achievements. But the problem is, none of those things are ever enough. And yet, those are the things we just go back to time and again to fill the longing within us. And the problem is, the longing that we have can only be filled through a relationship with our Creator. And when we try to fill that with anything else, it never succeeds, and it's never enough. And so Solomon here says, I'm going to shift my perspective. I'm going to look at this entirely differently. So think through the last time you were at an airport. Walking through the airport, 
I don't know if you're like me, but if you're like me, airports are some of the best places in the world for people watching. It's just incredible. You get to see, I mean, it's, it's just great. If you ever have some time for a layover or you want to get there so you're not running through TSA uh, going crazy, you just sit down and you just get to watch people. It's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. But take yourself back to the last time you were in an airport. You're there and you see somebody who's just massively tall walking walking through the airport and then you get on the plane and they have to duck down to, to get on the plane. You're on the plane and you're, you're taxiing to the runway and depending on where you're flying from, you see the outline of the city. You see those massive buildings. You see how large that you, you just, this, this idea of all these buildings and, and just the massive humanity that are housed right there. And then as you're taking off, the, the buildings become smaller, but you just see so many of them. You just see so many of them. It, it really gives you a reminder of how grand God is and all that he's created and how small we are. And yet how fascinating it is that though we are one individual, we still matter to our creator to the point he knows how many hairs we have on our head. It's absolutely fascinating. And as the plane continues to rise and the altitude continues to increase, those those buildings become specks. You couldn't even try to identify an individual from the naked eye. Isn't possible. But it gives you a whole different perspective on the grandness of our God and how great his creation is. And what Solomon does here is he zooms out. He zooms out from all of his cares and all of his concerns. He zooms out from all of his accomplishments and all of his achievements. And what we've seen so far in the book of Ecclesiastes is all that he's done, and yet he isn't satisfied. And what we see now is this idea of eternity. We see this idea of eternity. And how when we look at all the things that seem so massive to us, and how we look at all the things that seem like such a big deal, day in and day out of our lives, how we spend so much time worrying about choices and decisions that we're going to make that are going to impact our life for the next three months or six months or nine months or year or two years or five years of our lives. keeps going and he zooms out into eternity. And I've read the saying, I don't know who came up with it. I wish I did so I could attribute it to them. But I think it's just fascinating that if it isn't going to matter in five years, I'm not going to worry about it for more than five, year, five minutes. If it isn't going to matter in five years, I'm not going to worry about it for more than five minutes. Because so often in life we become paralyzed by choices and decisions that we convince ourselves are much bigger deals than what they are. And Solomon gives us this view here of ultimately what really matters, ultimately what's really important. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. 
So in light of the view of eternity, he says, listen, eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy your life. This is God's desire for you, that you would enjoy the time that you have here. It is not wrong for you to enjoy life. It is not wrong for you to have fun. It is not wrong for you to take pleasure in the food that you eat and what you drink. Eat, drink, and be merry. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been given away. And this is the point. Because some of you might now might be struggling with, wait a minute, eat, drink, and be merry. You just told us to, to be all right with that, but Scripture tells us that the, that's the fool's perspective, and this is the difference right here. This is the difference because the fool's perspective is just about now. It's like I'm going to find all my significance. I'm going to find all my satisfaction. I'm going to find all my enjoyment right here and what this world has to offer. And what we see here and what we've seen from earlier in Ecclesiastes is that is an empty pursuit because this world cannot satisfy. It isn't enough. Whatever God does endures forever. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what's been driven away. God is in control. And he is eternal. And he has wired us with this desire within us to leave something beyond us. And yet what we saw last week in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is when this is out of balance in our life. How this doesn't bring about encouragement, but just the opposite. Because last week what we saw in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is Solomon processing through life. And he gets to the point where he says, what difference does my legacy even make? Because I am skilled and I am wise and I did all these things. But this is all going to be left to somebody who comes after me who didn't work for it and didn't earn it. They're just handed it. And what if they do a horrible job? See, God makes all the difference. God makes all the difference in your life. And I know the cynic is going to say, well, of course you're going to say that. Of course you're going to say that. Because you're a follower of Jesus. And my response again to the cynic is, well, then you tell me what has been enough for you. Because we've seen it time and time and time again. Where the same things have been tried. And ultimately, it's never enough to satisfy. Moreover, I saw under the sun, that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts 
is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Our demise is imminent. Every single one of us. And the reality is this, that we are right now one breath closer to our death than we were a second before. Our demise is imminent. And if we don't have the hope of Jesus, if we don't have the promise of a restored relationship with our Creator, and this perspective of eternity, that that's why there's this longing, and that's why there's this desire within us for something greater, because we are created by a God in the image of God who is eternal. If we aren't ready and we aren't prepared for that, then at best, at best, we can try to do what Solomon did, what Solomon did and records for us in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where at best we can try to distract ourselves from the fact that we too will experience death. And at worst, we become depressed. Because we don't have hope. And if death is the end, where, where is the hope in that? And what's the point to all of this? Why does it matter? Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot, who can bring him to see what will be after him. Solomon says, who knows? Who knows? The answer is that our Savior knows. Because our Savior experienced death once and for all, for all of us. That our Savior has gone and he bared upon himself the weight of my imperfection and the weight of your imperfection, the weight of all of my mistakes and the weight of all of your mistakes. That the eternal God who made us in his image with this longing and this desire within us that we can't even fully explain. But for something to be greater than, than just what we experience in this life. That there has to be something more. That is a God-given innate desire within us all. Created in us by the eternal creator God who made us in his image. And yet because of our rebellion against him. holy God who has a standard of perfection. We were looking at an eternity apart from him. We were looking at an eternity where we would never experience the ultimate reason we were created. And that doesn't mean there isn't joy, and that doesn't mean there aren't other fun things that we could experience in life, but it does mean we would all find ourselves in the place that Solomon found himself. 
where it isn't enough. But God in his love for us provided a way for us to experience enough. When he came, full humanity and full divinity on display. The God-man Jesus, who experienced all of the things that we experience in life, and met the standard that every one of us failed to meet, and was our sacrifice. Not just so that we could experience Heaven, not just so that we could be with our Creator eternally. Yes, His sacrifice for us, His gift to us, the resurrection proves that we could experience that hope of having a restored relationship with our Creator. But the benefit of salvation isn't just heaven. Heaven is a benefit of salvation. But one of the benefits of salvation is that we can live life. We can live it to the fullest. We understand this longing and we understand this desire within us. But we don't have to try to artificially satisfy it. Because it's been satisfied by the Savior who did go and pay the price for us, who did go and die, so that we would experience life and experience it abundantly. And that is the invitation, and that is the offer that Jesus extends to every single person that would place their faith and trust in him. God, I pray that as we have this longing within us, this desire for more, I pray that we wouldn't try to satisfy it with things that ultimately lead us wanting, with things that ultimately leave us at a place where it's never enough. And I pray instead, God, that we would experience the abundant life that your son Jesus promised to all those who follow after him. That yes, we would take enjoyment in our lives. God, that starts in a place where we enjoy you. Thank you, God, for your sacrifice. Thank you for sending your son to save us. I pray, God, when we are on the highest mountaintops in our lives, we would be quick to appreciate your blessing and walk with you there. When we find ourselves in the lowest valleys, God, I pray we would be quick to reach out to you and walk with you the same.
pray that we would see each day as a gift. And we would make a difference and we would make an impact on the time in this world we've been given. That we would enjoy life. But God, we know that the best is yet to come because of the desire that you've placed in us all and the sacrifice of our Savior, which has made it so we can have a restored relationship with you, our Creator. And we rejoice and we thank you. In your Son, Jesus' name we pray.